Monday, March 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, my friend. Howdy. We're going to talk about the automotive industry. We will dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with the mouse that roared. Uh, Walt Disney shares hitting a, a new all-time high this morning. And it's all due to one young woman by the name of Cinderella. Uh, the live-action version of Cinderella took in $132.5 million worldwide at the box office. And you and I were talking earlier this morning, the stuff I had seen, and by stuff I mean sort of media coverage leading into this, the reviews were not across-the-board amazing for this film. And I don't want to say that Disney itself was tamping down expectations, but I think that in the film industry, expectations for this movie for the opening weekend were probably they weren't this good. They were good. They they were not 132 million good. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I I, I certainly expected it to do well just because I feel like Disney always uh, really capitalizes on these stories that it already knows so well. I mean, uh, whether it be Cinderella or Maleficent or something like that. I mean, those they are real pros at at, at really telling those those tales. You know, spinning those yarns. Where you look at something like a John Taylor, look, John Carter, John Carter, and, and obviously that was maybe a little bit of a step in a different direction for them, an unfamiliar story, and I, they didn't succeed <laughs> really in telling that story. By different direction, you mean a horribly unprofitable direction. That's what it sounded like. And I never saw that one, so I can't personally critique it, but the reason why I never saw it was because of all of the criticism I saw out there. Nobody saw it. It was a $200 million write-down. Right. And so, that was maybe something that was a bit outside of their scope of understanding, maybe a little bit of an experiment, a new thing, uh, whereas they are just really pros at, at uh, you know telling these, these stories we all know so well. And so, you know, I... It, it seems to me like there are just not a whole heck of a lot of great movies that are coming out lately. I mean, you have not a, not a lot of competition. I mean, I think uh, you know, uh, American Sniper was one that really, really recently succeeded, um, even even in the face of of not you know a lot of of great movies to go see at, at that time. And, and so I think they're capitalizing on that. And, and then of, of course they they just know they just know how to really to do this. They've just done done it for so long and do it so well. And so, you know, I, I look at these movies and we always talk about the fact that the movies don't make up as as significant a role or a part of, of Disney's income. Uh, you know, the movies are just, just a f- small 7 or 8% share of the If you're the just looking at the income. studio segment. Right, if you're just looking at the studio segment. But the way I look at these movies, ultimately, particularly the, these movies, is these are essentially just like, you know, forms of advertising. And and so I mean you look at these releases and think okay they're 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 going to realize the return on these movies in a number of different ways and that's the great part about it I mean this was a movie that cost them 100 million dollars to make so globally they've already you know surpassed that with about 160 170 million and and that number is going to just go up and so everything they realize just on the movie alone you know they can quantify that return right there on that advertising but then it's it's what they can do with this stuff beyond that with with things like the parks and even cruises to a degree, um, and, the and the consumer products, products and everything that they that they build from these from these characters, and, and um, you know when when you look at the theme, I think the the theme parks are really the story with Disney that we're going to want to focus on 
year in and year out because that makes up more than 30% of their sales because it makes up 20% of their operating income and and you know they just passed on along uh, passed along a price increase for the theme, the theme parks here and so you know when you look at the way the price history for these theme parks has gone along since 2011 they were $85 in 2011 raised it to 89 in 2012 95 2013 99 dollars in 2014 now 2015 it's going to be 105 dollars coincidentally about the price of a disney share to get into the park and what that shows us is that number one they maintain one hell of a network of parks i mean these things are just great all all around the world traffic continues to grow they are the name that you know and so they they really are able to to grow that that operating income you know with with the, you have sort of that that established when you have those parks open those parks have to stay open and they have to run all the stuff so the more people they can bring into those parks the more profitable really that ultimately ultimately uh, is for them and it, it you know they work on that operating leverage and so you know when you look at these films these films are just i think a form of of advertising for them and they they know how to do this so well and and the neat thing about disney is that they realize the return on that advertising investment in so many different ways. You mentioned the movie offerings this time of year, and it's not its not anyone's imagination. This is a, a real phenomenon that early in the calendar year in the United States, there are not a lot of great movies that are put out in theaters. And this was, I thought, wonderfully and um, with great uh, analysis behind it, uh, but wonderfully illustrated by Anne Hornaday, who's the one of the film critics at the Washington Post, and she wrote an article last week about this very phenomenon. And the opening line of the article was, welcome to dump season. <laughs> that this is the time of year when studios, for whatever reason, decide, well, we've got this movie, we know it's not going to do that well, well, we'll put it out in the beginning of the year. But to your point about Disney... If you have a film that you think can capture uh, dollars uh, and eyeballs, then you're going to do even better. Um, Here's a fun little stat. So, in the United States, Cinderella took in $70 million at the box uh, box office. There are 47 different films that are in theaters right now in the United States. And Cinderella took in more money over the weekend than the other 46 combined. That's totally believable because I can't even believe there are that many movies out there. But I mean, I, it, it doesn't. That doesn't really surprise me. Now, what will be interesting to see here is uh, DreamWorks has their their sold 2015 release coming out here in like another two weeks. I think right at the end of March. It's I think what is it called Home. Home. Yep. And and so you know, my I, I've heard my kids talking about it. So I, I'm Mine too. fairly certain you know we're going to go see it. And I'll be interested to see if if DreamWorks isn't able to really capitalize on that as well, because I think that would be a very sort of apt apples to apples comparison there. If you can look at how Disney Cinderella performs and how Home performs, I think the Cinderella effect will have had time to wear off a little bit for for DreamWorks. So I don't think we can say you know with, with DreamWorks that it'll be like oh well just Disney was taking everybody's mind share and and you know that's just that because really I think by the point when Home comes out, most people will have been deceived. Cinderella. Um, now we haven't seen it yet. We're going to go see it. My wife will be coming back in town uh, towards the end of the month, and so we, we definitely will be going going to see you know definitely Cinderella, but probably both of them. Um, and so yeah, we we should uh, you know meet back here at, at the beginning of April and uh, and see how these two things shake out. 
Radio at full.com is our email address from Andrew Stipe in Jacksonville, Florida. I've been reading a lot of Peter Lynch lately and trying to nail down a portfolio strategy uh, mainly focusing on growth since I have 30 years to retirement. If you see a company you like with a great balance sheet, should you be concerned with a high price tag? Granted, companies like Chipotle and Google took off well past $100, but what about companies like Apple and Disney? Do they have the momentum to move into the mid-triple digits? And what made companies like Chipotle, Google, etc. go past 100? And uh, a great question, and I think uh, certainly a question that a lot of investors uh, are asking on a regular basis. And let me just add one other note along with this, which is uh, the uh, analyst firm BTIG, which came out this morning with a rating on Disney's stock. And BTIG actually cut their rating. And let me just read you from the report. They write, the stock is now trading at 19 times our fiscal year 2016 estimate and nearly 17 times our fiscal year 2017 estimate. Simply put, we believe Disney shares are near full value based on very robust expectations over the next couple of years with little margin for error. And for as well run that company is, and for as great a job as Bob Iger has done as CEO of uh, as Disney uh, at Disney, um, they're not wrong when they say that this is, from the standpoint of the valuation of that stock, this is a stock that doesn't have a lot of margin for error. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, I think uh, at 24 times earnings today, and and with obviously a lot of optimism baked into the name and the stock, uh, the the share price is reflective of that of that optimism. Um, in in regard to how companies can get that share price into the triple digits, I mean, let's just remember that really the share price is just a reflection of that of the health of that business and the cash that it generates and the number of shares outstanding. And so, I mean, as these businesses continue to grow and perform, you know, as long as that share share count isn't really you know going up. Um, you know the stock price is going to is going to continue to to move, and so breaking you know breaking into triple digits isn't all that difficult as long as the companies are performing. Um, and and uh, I, I think that with Disney, you know, I, I there is going to be a point where they you know release a dud. There is going to be a point where they make a misstep. There is going to be a point when Bob Iger is stepping down, and we're going to have somebody filling uh, you know that that executive suite there with. Uh, Perhaps a different mindset or a different strategy. We don't know. So there are some questions out there regarding Disney that um, you know haven't been answered yet. And, and I really think the leadership one is the key one because of what Iger has done to date. I mean, he's he's the one who really oversaw the trifecta of, of acquisitions in Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilms that have just really you know helped propel this company forward in, in a number of, of different ways. So I, you know the way the way I would look at Disney is number one. You know, James Early was talking about this. Uh, I think last week on Motley Fool Money, and, and Disney's one of those those companies that has always, I think, to, to many advisors here, that you know, the argument is, oh, it just looks like it's too expensive, and you know that that was more than a hundred percent ago. I mean, Disney just has continued this march forward. Now, for the short term investor, for the investor looking, you know, a year out. Yeah, maybe it is pricey. Maybe it's something that uh, you know you could get a better price. But the, the beauty of the way we invest here, when we look at things from five-year perspectives, is you know we're okay 
owning these the shares of these businesses for long periods of time because we know these are great businesses. And that's the idea in business-focused investing is finding these great businesses. The share price will go up, it will go down. That's okay. But you want to ask yourself this question is if I buy shares in this company today, is this a is this a company where I would feel comfortable adding more shares if if shares got walloped for whatever reason? And if you can say, you know, the answer to that question is yes, then I think that you start by maybe opening up a small position with one of these companies. And so with Disney or Chipotle or Google or any of them really, if you want to own them, go for it. I mean, the the toughest purchase is the first one because their valuation arguments abound, you know, everywhere and it's just it's one of those things that you have to say, okay, I'm going to take maybe a small bite here, open a position, have this thing in my portfolio and approach it with the understanding that yeah, this stock is going to go down from here. I'm going to I'm going to see a better price at some point. But knowing that you have invested your money in a very quality business and that you're comfortable adding more shares when the stock price goes down, I, you know, I think I think that's how you sort of build into these positions because on the flip side, they're also very fun to add to on the way up. And I think a lot of people leave that part of of you know the investing equation out is like it's okay to add to your winners. I mean, that's one of those things that that we we espouse here as well. And uh, and I so so when you look, have a business like that, and you can see it from both perspectives like that, I think that's that's how you want to approach it is building the position over time as opposed to looking at it as a one time only purchase. Well, and if you're if you're making just a basic pros and cons list of a business and the number one and and whether it's any of these companies we've mentioned or any other because there are plenty of really great companies that also have stocks that on average look expensive and if you're making up your pros list and it's boy they've got a great business they're the leader in their space they they've got a great management team in place you know and if number one on the con list is the stock looks expensive. There are worse things to have as number one on the con list. I think you're spot on there. I mean, with with Disney or with any of these real quality businesses, whenever I find a business like that and, and everything checks out except for perhaps the valuation, I never let valuation decide whether you know that I'm, that I'm not going to buy shares. Now I will let it decide my strategy and how I'm going to you know approach that position. But but if if it's just the valuation side of things, then I, it, but it's a real quality business. I'm not I'm not going to just take a pass because because I think it may be richly valued. Because I mean, at the end of the day, valuation is an opinion. I mean, think about that for a second. It's there are there are numbers that we plug into it, but value you know, markets forward looking. It's all based on these growth estimates and these these things that we, we don't know. We can't tell the future. We can only make guesses. But valuation at the end of the day, it's an opinion, and and you know everybody's going to have one, and they're not always going to be right. <laughs> Email question from Brajesh Mishra in Bangalore, India. Why don't we get to hear about car companies other than Tesla Motors on your show? I've never heard you guys talk about Honda Motors, and of late, no mention of Toyota either. He's not wrong. We no. we, we frequently, <laughs> uh, if we're talking about an automotive company, frequently it's Tesla Motors. Although from time to time, we will talk about General Motors and Ford. Uh, I will just say that from the standpoint of the stock performance, Honda. And I say this as someone who owns and loves his Honda CRV. 
Uh, Honda stock has been a pretty consistent underperformer over the last yeah. one, two, five years. But uh, Toyota came out with earnings a few weeks ago. You looked at them. How, how does Toyota look to you these days? Yeah, you know, Toyota's not a company that we have in any of our foolish services here. Um, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, every once in a while, the folks over at CNBC Asia give me a call to go talk with them about it because it's obviously. Uh, a company that that interests them, um, you know. Toyota is is an interesting story from a number of different perspectives. I mean, we we know the the whole sort of acceleration issue here that they're just getting past, and now all of these cars are dealing with this airbag issue, which you know, thankfully, isn't just a Toyota specific. Um, but Toyota did very well. Sales in North America uh, are on the rise. The the results really for Toyota were more based on currency, though the currency effects um, of a of a stronger dollar, and so it, their actual numbers of, of vehicles being shipped was actually down a little bit for the year, and they were forecasting you know a little bit of a, a little bit of a weaker global um, picture than than maybe they had hoped. And you know the thing is with these with these big automakers is they they have to keep on coming to the market with something that people like. And and the other thing that we've seen is you know for the longest time a lot of people here in the states were very concerned about um, gas mileage and you know trucks were really uh, became became uh, trucks really got got the the black mark there over over the last financial crisis really because the filling them up you know cost a, a yeah take a lot of credit to fill the tank up. But but now how short how short our our memories are right? And Chris, now the price of gas <laughs> has gone down, and let's get some trucks. Yeah, and that's it's shaping up to be the year of the truck here in the United States, and Toyota is capitalizing on that. Um, but but you know remembering that Toyota is more than just North America. I mean, strong sales in the U.S. are fine, uh, but but it is a global company, and you know I, th- I think that Toyota is a good example of a, of a of an automaker that is really on the forefront of trying to introduce new technologies t- t- into vehicles and, and one of the reasons why we talk talk about Tesla so much is because it's so different it's so new it's it's certainly more more interesting in many in many ways but um yeah I mean you know Toyota's the it's it's still the the number one brand out there today and, and that's for a reason they they've done a great job operating that company operating margin over the last 5 years has has greatly improved and they're going to have a lot of cash on <clears throat> in that business uh that that they're going to be devoting towards research and development here in in the coming years because I think you know the airbag issue is is one more example of I think uh you know a, a reason why these companies are going to want to get a little bit more of a grip on on their supply chain understanding their supply chain and, and understanding if there's something they can take a little bit more control of in that supply chain. So, um, you know that that's that's Toyota really in a nutshell. I don't know that we'll ever see it really as a recommendation uh, because it's you know it's just another automaker. Um, but who unlike, knows? Unlike Honda, though, stock's done pretty well. Lately. The stock has done pretty well, and and I don't really think I, I think that should continue. I really think that should continue. I mean, they are they are going to work on on whittling down costs and focusing on efficiencies, cutting the fat. And, and, and investing in R and D, and I think that's going to be something that'll play out. Uh, you know, consumers will, will be buying Toyotas for, for many years to come. Before we wrap up, here's your random stat of the day in advance of tomorrow, which is St. Patrick's Day. Since 2005, shares of Anheuser Busch have been up on St. Patrick's Day 100% of the time. I saw that stat online earlier today. I'm just going to assume it's correct because, well, I'm just going to assume it's correct. I don't think you run out and buy shares of Anheuser-Busch uh, today. 
in the expectation that it'll be up tomorrow, unless you're a manic day trader. But then again, I can't imagine day traders listen to this podcast. So No, I think we're probably talking about something that they're not too interested in. Uh, the NCAA basketball tournament begins this week. Yesterday, last night, was the selection show yeah. on CBS. Uh, and for those unfamiliar, this is the 68-team tournament that kicks off this week. There are four games for the play-in round, and then really the first round begins on Thursday, and this is for the national championship. And the late game on Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida, features number 5 seeded Arkansas against number 12 seeded Wofford, your alma mater. Uh, Arkansas currently favored by about seven and a half points, according to the smart people in Las Vegas. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, that's understandable. Arkansas is essentially a top 20 team. I mean, they're 20th or 20, 21st in most polls, and and uh, certainly a bigger school, SEC school. I think they, they played the, the the SEC championship against against Kentucky. I think we can probably all, uh, you know, safely say that they're they're the ones that are... That they're the are, betting favorite. Yeah, they're the betting favorite. When you're can, undefeated going into the national tournament, you're probably the betting favorite. That, that makes a lot of sense. There's no doubt there. Uh, you know, with I, this is an interesting draw. You know, I listened to the Arkansas-Georgia game the day before um, in, in the car when my girls and I were tootling around running some errands, and it didn't... You know, I wasn't very... I mean, they both didn't seem to play very well. I mean, Arkansas obviously won, but it seemed like it was kind of, you know, a game where neither, neither team played exceptionally well. So, I mean, I'm hopeful that that Wofford can go in here and, you know, maybe catch Arkansas underestimating them a little bit. And I think, you know, the guys that really need to show up for Wofford are Carl Cochran, Spencer Collins, they're the big three-point threats. And then, you know, Lee Skinner, who's the, who's the big forward, who we, we, well, we, I, you know, I, I've watched some of those games. <laughs> so, you, those are the names that you see, and they're the names that I think we're really going to want to see step up. You know, this is their fourth tournament in six years. It's not like they've not been there before, and, and I, you know, they're always excited to go, obviously. I mean, it's, it's a big treat for a school that small. I mean, there's, Wofford is, is less than 2,000 people. Really, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Uh, and, and then you know, head coach Mike Young, he's been there for like he's been the head coach for like 13 years or something, and, and he's very familiar with the program. So I, I think they've got nothing to lose, man. And I'm going to be really excited to see it. I think it comes on what Thursday night at like nine or nine fifteen. Yeah, it's the late game, and you know, it's Jacksonville. They don't have to travel across the country. It's relatively uh, close by. So I, yeah, I'm really excited to see it again. I mean, it was a great game they played against Furman. That, that was a tough tight game there and they came down through they came through in the stretch and so you know this will be another fun one to watch I, I can't you know I can't say enough man I mean go go get them guys we'll be watching so there are four brackets so that means there are four teams that are seated 12th I believe this is the you know the opening round game the 512 game I believe that's the seating where every year for I don't know a decade or so, Yep, a number twelve seed upsets a number five seed. So you know what? Why not Wofford? It could totally happen. And you know they they played once before. I think back in like two thousand and seven, and Arkansas won. So you know Terriers got a little score to settle. Payback time. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.